Bobby Soxer. You have interfered with our affairs for the last time. Sinatra. I am literally in the air right now, wrapping up a store. This first class, I am so new at this. Used to ride a metro, let us hit us retro. Like the infrareds on my feet, baby, let's go. Sinatra, what they know me by, logic, what they call me. Gotta catch a flight, but the fans wanna stall me. Life of a dawn, change just glowing. Always in a lab with the fresh kicks on. I'm at the MGM, rocking MCM. Bobby Sacks on my arm, it's only 10 p.m. Got a rap pack with me going ham at the hotel. Name brand, everything, fuck a wholesale, no. All right, everybody, welcome back today. Joined by a very special guest, we got co-founder and C CFO. I, uh, you know, we didn't go with the C title, so I'm I'm technically vice president. Vice president, no C, no C titles. Vice president of East Coast dies. We got Mike Mike Canali. I'm sorry, I'm a Mike. That's no, all right. It's Canali. It's a hard one. Two ends, oh two bells. Mike Keneally. Mike, well, thank you for coming on, man. Yeah, no problem. I, uh, I grew up, I don't know, it's wild, but like six, seven, eight years ago, just it was go get home from school and watch a string series or Stang's family. And it was always just like, this stuff is awesome. Nobody else is making this caliber stuff about lacrosse. It's just it, like just mind blowing stuff. Yeah, well, you sent me the picture. You've got a picture of when you're younger with uh, Greg at Final Four, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So we, we were pretty fortunate. Like, uh, YouTube wasn't a huge thing when uh, we were graduating college. So uh, we started making YouTube videos and kind of that was like, oh, there's not a ton of lacrosse content out there. And that's what really picked up for us. So it was, just, it was a timing thing, a little bit of luck. Yeah. So how did you have that foresight to start making the YouTube videos? Because... And, and especially in such a niche space. Yeah, so I did not. Uh, Greg did. Uh, so basically, when he was in college, he was on lacrosse forums. So like inside lacrosse had these forums where people talked about their pockets or talked about different lacrosse stuff. And that's where he really started the business was stringing and dying sticks and selling them on those forums or eBay. So there was like one or two people doing YouTube videos in lacrosse. And after college, uh, he graduated and uh, Greg was making YouTube videos, just like showing off the stick, like point of view camera, you know, face to camera, still showing the stick. And it was more just to say like, hey, I can do this stuff, send me your stick. And then one day I remember and he came downstairs, like, I'm gonna put my face on camera. I was like, I don't think you should do that. And like, this was not a time of like, Instagram wasn't out yet. Twitter was there, but like selfies weren't really like a big thing. It was like, we we're kind of like, I don't think you should put your face on camera. That might be weird. People might not like that. And he did in his college bedroom and that's how it took off. And then he got into filming highlights and making some like Stang's family's kind of a limited documentary. Uh, and so he still does all that stuff for our YouTube channel today. He still films a lot of the highlights and edits them himself. So uh, it was more just of that's, you know, YouTube and social media was really just taking off in 2011. So nothing exists in lacrosse out there. So I wouldn't say it was foresight. We didn't know that it was going to be such a big deal or such a big thing. It was just, hey, this is happening. Let's just do it. Do you like running a business with your brother? Because I have a brother and he's just a pain in the ass. But yeah, uh, so Greg and I are twins. So I do think I'm that a twin too. That's different. wild. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we've played lacrosse together our whole lives. We went to college together. Uh, we've done pretty much everything together. I think it was one time 
we got in an argument in the basement and Greg was like, uh, you know, hey, if we're going to do this together, we just can't be arguing all the time. And so there's definitely little conflicts, but uh, the way in which we've set it up is that Greg does a lot of the, you know, the marketing, the product development, uh, you know, that, that sort of deal. I do a lot of the operations, the accounting. So we are in charge of two separate sides of the business in a way. Uh, so it does make it a little bit easier where, you know, the decisions are somewhat clear on who needs to do what. And we have a great team. So that helps like Greg and I aren't the only ones here doing things. You know, there's people that do stuff and make decisions. And so it doesn't it generally get along pretty well. So you, you're more that, um, like type B personality accounting kind of behind the scenes, making the ship float. And, uh, Greg, I'm uh, Greg's more, um, like that Jack's if you're, making the ship float he's jack sparrow like on the content side and you know doing i'm doing a lot of pirates of the caribbean stuff right now but he's like making the he's doing the content and um testing everything and things of that nature is that what you're saying correct so i, I don't know i think it's right brain is like organized accounting yeah, yeah. math and then left brain is like creative greg uh tends to be a little bit more left brain i tend to be a little more right brain so Yes, I'd say that Greg is a lot more involved and, and does a much better job in, in product development uh, and knowing the product and, and knowing what consumers want and getting feedback and he's out there filming. And I do a lot more on the you know accounting, inventory, making sure we have the product, making sure we can get it, making sure it's shipping on time, making sure we're packaging it, making sure it gets shipped out. Uh, so yes, it's definitely divided. Uh, even though we're twins, we're fraternal, we're definitely different. <laughs> Same here. Um, so what does your day-to-day look like with that stuff, running a very successful lacrosse company? Yeah, I, I think it's changed significantly over the years. So, you know, when I first started with the company, I was my job was just to make the mesh. So I was dipping the mesh in wax. And, uh, and then as we got a little bit bigger, it was organizing that and making sure we were organizing employees that were dipping the mesh in wax. And uh, you know, a lot of it now is some more meetings. So, you know, this morning we have a sales meeting. I'm in all the product development meetings. Uh, so I'm still helping with the product, make sure the finances are working out. It could be, you know, cutting checks. It could be uh, paying bills. It could be creating inventory items, doing inventory projections. Uh, but you know, the thing that I really like to do is like get out there and help and, and do things. I, I still I string at least a stick every single day. Um, in here, I like to help ship packages. I, I like to do all of those nitty gritty things as well. I love to pick up the phone on customer service. So, uh, you know, I love to give tours when we get the opportunity. People come in for tours. Sometimes I'll have a free moment. I hop up and give the tour. So uh, it's just a little bit of everything. I think as the business grows and we have more employees, we have a lot of great employees. And so a lot of it is just answering their questions, like them confirming like, hey, this is how I should be doing that. Uh, and just kind of making sure they're going the right direction, which 99% of the time they do on their own. Oh, that's outstanding. It sounds like I'd work for you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, And if you're ever looking for interns, let me know. But um, you took a, you and Greg both took a risk, uh, an entrepreneurial risk, or let me start with this. What inspired you um, in your journey into entrepreneurship, especially in a genre like this, where, um, it was kind of like uh, Lewis and Clark, like Brave New World. It was very unexplored. And um, what inspired you to, to take that risk? Yeah, I think to, to be clear, Greg is more of the risk taker in some aspects. I, I love risk. So I think you have to start with that our dad was an entrepreneur. So 
he started his own business before we were born. He started an accounting company. So we grew up in that environment where uh, he worked a ton. We would go into the office and work with him and help shred papers. And, and that's kind of all we knew. So it wasn't unnatural to be like, oh, I should start my own business. You know, like that was something that was pretty familiar to us. I like to tell a story. Greg uh, was always starting businesses. So at one point he was, this might've been in like high school or college, like buying broken Xboxes and fixing them and selling them on eBay. Um, and he was definitely losing money on that. I don't think that was a good business for him. Uh, and so then in college, he was, you know, started to string people's sticks and that was a little bit of business for him. Uh, so it really started just stringing and dying sticks. When you're 21 and you just graduate college, you literally have nothing to lose. So I tell people, people ask me like, oh, it must have been such a big leap to, you know, start your own business. It wasn't. Uh, we were in grad school at the time. Uh, it, if it didn't work out, I just would have gone back to accounting. So we were accountants. Uh, even when we started the business the first couple of years, I was preparing tax returns two to three days a week full time in the spring. And that's kind of how I made money. We didn't really make a ton of money from the business when it first started. So I don't, you kind of fell into it and it was something that we knew and were familiar with. If this same business opportunity was presented to me today, where I have about that three kids uh, and a wife, I'd say there's no chance that I am taking a leap to start this business. So uh, I think it's all about circumstances, you know, some businesses you can start. So I wouldn't, it's not like we graduated college and we were like, we want to be entrepreneurs. We fell into this little tiny business of string and dine sticks and then making, you know, wax mesh that literally made no money at the beginning. And we grew it into something more substantial. And so I would say that, you know, Greg definitely, it was a risk because we could have made more money going into accounting and doing those jobs, but we knew that that was always going to be there. So if we started this business and the business failed, we could always go back to accounting. We could always prepare tax return, we could always get a job there. Absolutely. Well, number one, congrats on the sex. Uh, number two, uh, did it ever concern you um, about, like, in terms of sports, people say an unlimited ceiling. Did you ever, did it ever concern you that there was a pretty high floor and a not that high of a, a pretty low ceiling on lacrosse at the time of starting? Obviously, you're from Maryland, and that's, you know, huge there. And I'm from Massachusetts. That's It's like, very big here, all these coastal towns, but did it ever worry you like we're not going to be able to like grow in like Denver or Minnesota or Kansas? Yeah. So I would say that if you were to, you know, do a full business plan and business markup, you know, market potential would be an issue for you in lacrosse, but it's all relative. So one, we didn't do a business plan. We just were selling things. Mm -hmm. And so things were selling well at the beginning. So it was more like, oh, let's go do this. I, I never, we never thought about two to three years out what this was going to be. It was always just very short term. What's the next thing? You know, what's, all right, let's keep growing this. All right, let's get into retailers with this mesh. Okay, let's do this. All right, let's make this product. Okay, we could expand into this. So it was never, uh, you know, oh man, we have to be this big. And, you know, I'd say even to this day, we do not run this business based on, you know, money. Uh, it's not like we're out there trying to be like, oh, let's go be a billion dollar company. You know, we want to make great lacrosse products. We want to have great customer service. Uh, we want to work with our retail partners and our customers really, really well. So it, the market size is never bothered me. It's, it does, I never thought about it in the beginning. I rarely ever think about it today. Uh, 
so no, it's it's, not, it, it's something that if you were starting a lacrosse business today and you wanted to be a billionaire, you'd be like, oh, that's not a great market for me. Uh, but isn't it is it's plenty big for how we operate. And, you know, there's some big companies in lacrosse. Um, you know, Maverick, Cascade, STX, Warrior. Those are all pretty substantial companies. So it's it's enough market size to be happy. Why mesh? Uh, I mean, just a, a little bit of luck. So when we were playing, um, we were little. You could not get a good pre-strung pocket. And then when we were playing in college, you your mesh took weeks to break in when it got wet, it bagged out. And so it was just a constant pain point. And so our senior year of college, Greg's was like, there must be something better on the market. He tried every mesh available in the market. And it was just an afterthought for most manufacturers at that point in time. You know, they were innovating on heads, they're innovating on shafts, they're innovating on helmets, they're innovating on everything else, but they, it was an after, afterthought was mesh. And so uh, when we, when Greg said, hey, I'd like to improve this, it was, okay, let's coat it in wax, which solved a ton of the problems. It was easy to break in, it was weatherproof, and that's how it started. So it was more of just that's where there was a big pain point. A lot of times where you find pain points, that ends up being market opportunities there. Pain points or market opportunities. Got it. Um, what positions did you guys play? So uh, probably every position. We, we started playing for five. <laughs> So I think I started at like attack and goalie. You play that for a little bit and then defense. So mainly I'm a defender. I played close defense. When I got to college, got switched to long stick midi for three years and then played close senior year. Uh, Greg's always played attack in midfield, but he's really an attackman. So he's an attackman. Uh, That's outstanding. That's exactly like myself and my brother. Um, uh, When you – did you always see yourself as an entrepreneur or were you more, um, you know, kind of just go along for the ride? Like, I'll just do whatever, you know, if this doesn't work out, I'm still an accountant. So I guess to answer your question, yes and no at the same time. So kind of my grand plan, and I think some, maybe some of Gray's grand plan was that we would graduate college, get our master's, get our CPA, which we did do go work at a big four accounting firm and at some point come back to the family accounting business. So, you know, at some point, I guess I always envisioned that I would run that business uh, as an accountant. That's, you know, being an entrepreneur, even though I didn't start the business. And so, yes, to answer your question, I, you know, I always saw myself doing that, uh, running a business, but I didn't think it would be this business. So uh, I think once you kind of get the bug of working for yourself, it's hard to kick. So yeah, it is going forward. Yes. I don't see myself working at a big company ever, but uh, I would never say never, but could definitely enjoy the aspects of running a business and would like to keep that going. How important would you say are those, um, those qualities you mentioned earlier of, and those values of good customer service, trying to just deliver the best products possible um, at the best price possible. And I, I've always obviously seen, um, you guys are big and made in the USA, which I really appreciate. And I'm sure a lot of people do. How important are those values to, uh, upcoming entrepreneurs? Yeah, I think it all goes into one value, which I would say is that our drive is to be the best in every single thing that we do. So if you were to say, Mike, what's the number one reason that you guys have been successful? I would tell you that, that we are ultra competitive. I'm probably over competitive 
uh, a lot of the guys in our office are extremely competitive and we just have the desire to be the best. And so what that lends you to do is you want to be the best at customer service. You want to have the best product. You want to have, you know, and there's plenty of businesses where being the best isn't the thing, right? You know, look at off-brand toilet paper. Their whole business is not being the best. Uh, but our drive is to do the best in every single thing that we do. So I think that that plays into, it pretty much sums it up, right? We want to have the best product. We want to have the best customer service. We want to have the best interaction with our fans and our customers. And so I think that that has what, if that would probably be my number one thing that has made us successful is that you know, we're con- it's never ending, right? You can always be better than yourself. You can always be better than someone else. And so uh, I think that that is probably the number one reason we've had success so far in our business. And that's outstanding. And I, uh, I definitely, it reminds me, there's a Dale Carnegie quote. It's um, uh, the only way you can enrich yourself is enriching others. And I definitely feel that 99% of successful businesses uh, abide by that, you know, they're delivering quality products that either help people or make people's lives better in some facets, whether that's through a fantastic sport like lacrosse or um, good quality toilet paper, like that enriches our lives. Um, let me ask you this, Mike. So you played college lacrosse and I've got buddies or acquaintances that play division one, two, and three. What are in your opinion, the biggest differences between division one, two, and three? Uh, we were talking to a division three guy. So I obviously, I think division three is That's the best. my guy right there. D3 uh, guys are the best. So it, a lot of, so Greg and I played at a, a top high school in our area. Uh, so we were number one um, in the nation our senior year, or maybe it was two, but we won the championship, beat BL, which everyone knows play with guys like Steel Stanwick who are, you know, clear top D1 guys. Uh, and so there's, the, you know, one, there's a different level of ability there, right? So uh, the level of ability I had was never going to play top, top D1. I was never going to play at Virginia, Syracuse, Maryland. Uh, just did not have that natural uh, athletic ability. But there are guys in division three that could easily play division one. I mean, look at what's happened with COVID years and having those D three guys go D one and have a ton of success. So, you know, some people, it's just all over the place. Some people end up being really late bloomers. So they grow a ton when they're in college, they become way more athletic or they get some better coaching that it didn't have before. And so, you know, I'd say if you're looking at a guy like me, I played at top high school, certainly was an adequate player and pretty good. I wanted to go to Division three because I wanted to play a lot my, you know, last four years of lacrosse. And so we ended up going to a small school in Pennsylvania called Elizabethtown. Could I have gone to a better D3 school and sat the bench the first couple of years and maybe played my junior senior year? Maybe. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but I had a great experience, met great people, uh, love the school, love the coach. And so I'd say some of it is, is like, you just need to pick where you want to go. The, there's talent all over the place. There's plenty of talent in D3. There's a ton of talent in D1. There's probably a, guy, a bunch of guys that went D1 that should have gone D3. You end up sitting the bench all four years. So it just, you know, in lacrosse, there's a place to play for everyone, which I think is great. And then throw MCLA in the mix. There's guys playing MCLA or club in college that could be at a D1 school. There's plenty of talent there. So it's more, it, the talent's all over the place. is more just like, what do you want your experience to be? D1, you're going to be 6 a.m. workouts, working your butt off all the time. Uh, D2 has some of that as well. D3 is a lot more of captain practices and 
Um, you know, some guys are out there at 6 a.m. working, but it might not be mandatory. Uh, and so you get a decent, you know, and then <clears throat> within D3, so we were like middle of the road D3, we could get killed by a school 12 to 2, and then we would go and kill a school 12 to 2. So just a whole variety of different schools and abilities. So uh, it's more about, I think, what you want to do with, with your experience division though. Division one, division three. Everyone sees the top ten division one is like, oh yeah, that's that's awesome. That's the goal. But for most people, you know, playing division three or playing club is a great uh, goal as well. Uh, how much of the, the the medicine game, as as it's called, uh, how much would you say is actual God given physical ability uh, versus how much of it is a <clears throat> mental chess game? Uh, I think that ability will only take you so far so those like great players it's it's a combination of ability and hard work uh if you take a lot of the guys that i played with that were successful in college maybe there was some lacking in ability i was never a quick player moving left to right was not my speed uh but you know all of our friends in college we worked our butts off and so that can bring you up another level so uh, you know, I played plenty of guys that ended up being, you know, very successful uh, in their college career that maybe didn't have that natural athletic ability. So it, it's part of the equation. I mean, like hard work is probably 70% of it, 30% of it ability. It's just, it's kind of like, where's your ceiling, right? So it's, some people's ceiling is just higher. So, you, you know, you take some of the best players in the world, it, it's like, oh, well, that guy was naturally talented, but also he worked his butt off. Uh, and so it's just a difference there. Are you liking what you see uh well let me back up professional lacrosse has changed so much over the past 10 years do you think we're trending in the right direction because you know growing up when I was a little guy it was all MLL city-based and now we're here the PLL has absorbed them uh blew them out of the water essentially pretty much (laughs) it was either resign it was like the civil war it was either like resign or die with MLL and they absorbed them. And then uh, the NLL, I have no idea what's going on. But do you think professional lacrosse is trending in the right direction? Yeah, well, let's start with the NLL. They're killing it. Uh, really? Yeah, so they have great attendance at the games. They have great franchises. They've got a great fan base. They're doing a great job. Phenomenal. So I think that the future is very bright there. If the championship game in Buffalo was like a sellout. So What do you I attribute that to? I think that they've done a great job building that brand of physical inside in the winter. You know, there's not a lot to do in the winter all the time. It's like, oh, yeah, let me go to this uh, NLL game. They've got a cool environment. The fans are really into it. So I think they've got a lot of momentum there. I would also say that the PLL has a lot of momentum. I think that the touring model is good because the summer's hard to have season tickets to. Yeah. So, you know, everyone has plans in the summer. They have different tournaments. So it's great. Hey, the PLL is going to be in my city. I'll go to that game, you know, or maybe I'll drive to this one and go to this one. So it gives everyone an opportunity. I did not watch a lot of MLL games, even though we were a sponsor of the league. I watch almost all the PLL games. They're very accessible. I really enjoy the rules and the format and the shot clock and the two-point line and the shortened field. And I, it's a brand of lacrosse that I think is fun. And I would have loved to play. It's really exciting. So I'd say they've got good momentum. 
they need to continue the success and continue to get good crowds and get people on site. But I think they're building fans and excitement. I think it's a different time for professional sports than when the MLL started. You have all these streaming services. Everyone's got you know some way to watch it. Uh, when the MLL started, when I was a kid, they did a tour the first year. It was just two teams went around playing each other. And then they went and got city-based. And so we'll see what the PLL does. I don't know if they, keep, you know, how long they plan on continuing the tour model, if they're going to go cities at some point. But for right now, I think it's really exciting. It's a great brand of lacrosse. They're doing a good job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what What would you say that – what's the next step for the PLL? Because I'm really – I think you're right. I never thought about that before, that it's hard to have season tickets in the summer. Because, um, because people are, you know, doing this, that, and the other thing. I you know, that's just why you run a multi-million, billion-dollar company, and that's why I landscape. Um, with that being said, uh, do you, where would you think it would go? And then also, do you like that they play in the summer and it's not like just April to July and it's more, what is it, June to September? Yeah, well, they go right after Final Four, so they really go – yeah, the beginning of June to September. Um, <clears throat> I mean, look, I, I, it's tough because do you want to? They can't really be in the spring because the NLL is still going on, and they've got players that overlap leagues. Mm-hmm. You don't really want to compete with college lacrosse because that is still the number one brand of lacrosse is NCAA yeah. lacrosse. And you know, people are looking for things to do in the summer. Sometimes people, I, I've talked to plenty of people that have planned vacations around these PLL events. So we're in DC and. Uh, I go there and they're saying, oh, yeah, we were from Minnesota, but we made a trip down. We're doing D.C. for the weekend and the PLL's here. So that, that's great. Uh, so I, I don't know what the next steps for them are. It's hopefully it's continuing in this direction where they're gaining views online. They're uh, gaining views uh, in person. Uh, so we'll see. I, I guess at some point, you know, it's do you follow the traditional team pro sports model, which is go city based? And, you know, I don't know when that is. And I do think that you look at baseball and, and baseball is like, unless you're one of the top franchises, you're not really well attended. because like, it's hot in the summer and people are doing things and, but they have like a hundred games. Like lacrosse is never going to have that. So maybe, it can, maybe you can have season tickets for lacrosse in the summer when it grows a little bit and they build that excitement. So I think they're doing the right stuff now. I don't claim to be an expert in the field of professional sports. I'm sure they're much better at that than I am. So I'm sure they've got a good plan in place. Do you think, Hmm. Would you think moving away from the tour model at some point would be the right move? Because at this point, I don't even know. Like, why would you even why wouldn't you just keep the ball rolling? People are already fans of what they're fans of. You know, they're they players are from areas, you know, this that, and the other thing. Barstool is involved with one of the franchises. Like, if you just like them, just tag team with them. Like, do you think moving away would be the right move? Well, I really like the tour model. Uh, I do, too fan perspective uh but that being said i'm a numbers guy i don't it's got to be expensive so tour models work for like nascar and golf where like the individual people are like paying to travel themselves Uh, i don't i don't know how expensive it is to run these weekends and if you want to grow more teams how many more games can you have in a weekend at one time so i think to ultimately to grow to be as big as they want to be you're probably looking at cities just to be sustainable right so if the fan base grows and right now they sell tickets for a whole weekend but maybe you only want to go see one team or you're a fan of one team that makes it a little more challenging so 
I don't know 100%. I, I like the tour model currently just because it, it gets, you know, let's just say, um, you know, they went to Dallas last weekend. Can Dallas currently support a pro team every single weekend to the summer? Maybe not, but they'll support one weekend. So, it, you know, I, I like the model currently. I have no clue how long they'll, they'll be able to run or, or want to run or plan to run it or what their future plans are for that. That's interesting, again, that you bring up the expenses, the, uh, again, the business brain, big brain action. Um, how much has the technology changed um, since you were playing? And I know it's changed a ton since I was playing. I have in my garage this, uh, uh, like, a helmet from the 90s or the 80s. It's one of the ones with the big cage, and it's round, and it's, like, unbelievable. <laughs> How do you like the change? How what do you think of the about the technology change since you've been playing? Uh pretty phenomenal. Uh just everything, right? So the the weight of the sticks is so much less, they perform better. You can buy a stick off the shelf now that you can just go out on the field and play with right away. The helmets are way more comfortable, they're lighter, the shafts are lighter, uh, the you know, the mesh is pretty much on a whole other level from when we played or when I played. Uh, when I was little. So, you know, I'd say overall, it's been leaps and bounds of improvement. We get that all the time when dads come in and, um, you know, they go into a store and they're shopping for a stick. Like, I can't believe how awesome these things are now that you should see the, some of the stuff that, that I played with. So, you know, lacrosse from a technology standpoint is relatively new. You know, it's not, we're not far off from when people were playing with wooden sticks. So, uh, you know, my, my dad played with a wooden shaft. So, uh, more or less, you know, there's been massive amounts of improvements in that amount of time. Where do you see the uh, the lacrosse ceiling in the next two, three, four, five years? Uh, you know, I, I don't claim to know a ton of that. I don't know where the, the ceiling of, of these things are. You know, the way that innovation works is you have a giant leaf of innovation. You know, look at the iPhone iPhone was a giant leap of innovation from the first iPhone. There's been innovations for every single iPhone, but they're not as big of a leap as the first iPhone. Right. So, you know, I think people call performance mesh wax mesh or, or now we make mesh where the fibers are actually water, waterproof. That was a giant leap in innovation from what's currently in the market really changed people. So us and shrinking were at the forefront of, you know, changing the way the lacrosse stick performed for that giant innovation. Now there's little innovations. Our mesh now is way better than it was the first time, but was it that amount of gap better than our mesh? Probably not. You know, we probably are, now you're still kind of stacking them. So at some point, you know, an innovation is going to come out that will, you know, probably have that another giant leap. Uh, and so obviously we're constantly chasing that, constantly trying to find out what that is. Uh, trying to be the ones that do that but that's what happens in pretty much every single industry right you look at the auto industry and it's like okay innovation yeah they're making faster cars they're making more fuel efficient cars and boom you know tesla a giant innovation uh and so you just won't you know you gotta make sure you're the one doing that innovation uh warrior i give them all the credit in the world did not work out put a ton of money behind the warp which had it worked out it would have been a giant innovation it's completely different than what everyone was currently using in the market the warp so, didn't work out. Uh, I think to claim that your innovation worked out, it has to have mass market adoption. So we just, if you go look on the field now, no one's using hard mesh. 
everyone's using some level of performance mesh, probably us shrinking, STX is a mesh. Other, other companies have meshes now, but they're all, none of them are hard mesh. None of them are nylon coated and polyurethane, essentially. Is so, it, yeah. It, so it's just the, um, the eyes never lie test, essentially. I don't see the warp, so it doesn't work. It was a flop. It does work for a certain segment of the market. And I think certain certain people like that. But I think if you're looking at like, okay, it was a massive technology improvement innovation on the game. What are the pro guys using? You know, they're, they're using mesh strung into a pocket. So like I said, it, it was a phenomenal innovation and they did a great job, but it didn't get mass market adoption. Uh, so, you know, I, I give them a ton of credit for, for trying something like that. But like, that's the level of, of innovation that that ends up happening that will disrupt something. What's your guys' next big innovation? You're thinking, what's your Tesla? Uh, well, if I told you, then I, I'd have to kill you. Now, um, <laughs> we've got plenty of things that we're, you know, currently working on. That some of them just don't make it. Some of them make it. Uh, so it just depends on on the product and the project. We have a really cool head coming out oh, nice. this fall uh, that has a different material to it. Um, and I think it will be a really big innovation on what is currently out there on, across heads. That being said, is it, 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 it it's tough to describe. Um, I think that the, the grand level of innovation is it's so much better that everyone has to use it. So composite shafts or composite sticks in hockey and, and mass market adoption. Everyone switched over to composite hockey sticks uh, eventually like two or three years after they came out. Uh, or is this head going to do that? I don't know, but the heads are so position specific, who knows? So uh, we have a bunch of innovations that we're working on are all, you know, you only ever hit a couple of those home runs in your, in your career as a company. So um, we have them in the practical pipeline. A lot of them just end up failing. What has been your favorite home run or what would you say have been your home runs? Oh, I think meshes are really our, our, we have a lot of innovation, a lot of market adoption um, in in mesh. So I would say that's been my favorite one. Got it. What's your favorite idea? Like you just came into your brain. You're like, this is sick. I, I really want to do this. That just didn't end up working out. The uh, the idea that never made the light of day, so to speak. Uh, I, uh, I, th- I think that... Um, this is kind of a tough one. There's a ton of ideas that that don't make it, but not all of them are like, not all of them are product ideas. So some of them are company ideas that things that just don't happen. Uh, I had the idea uh, a long time back to do a head without uh, strings. And so I actually took like a Dremel and I cut out these different uh, notches in the head and we still have it here. Cut different, and then I took the mesh and I wrapped it around the notches uh, and made it. And SDX ended up coming out with a head like that uh, for like their beginners uh, maybe two or three years ago. So I was kind of like, oh man, oh, you're ahead of the game. I was on that path, but we killed it. We didn't like it uh, internally. Was there anything else you killed that you like? I thought this would have been a home run, but I just struck out. There's, yeah, so there's, um, well, I, I don't know. I don't want to get like too many details. There's a product coming out that uh, is a, like a one piece lacrosse stick. I think, I think it might be SD. I've seen some pictures of SDX coming out with it. Uh, we went down that path a while ago and that got killed. 
So. You want, yeah, you want to come out with a one piece lacrosse stick, like all those. I, cause you know, that's, you know, we could try it. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, you know, I don't know. So it, it would be interesting. I think that stuff's fun where uh, it didn't make it through our product development process. It's making it through theirs, it looks like, based on some pictures I've seen. So, it, you know, that's, I think that's really cool. Now, I know you occupy um, a lot of the entrepreneurial space on Twitter and um, all that stuff, or at least are involved in it. Um, what do you think is going to propel across to that upper echelon? Because I could definitely see it personally being top six sport in the United States. Um, and the main thing I can think of there's two things. I think number one would be the lacrosse equivalent of Drive to Survive, the Netflix Formula One series. It absolutely exploded U.S. fan fandom of F1 uh, viewership. All the numbers after Netflix did that docu-series, it exploded in the U.S. It was a huge success. I think when lacrosse gets a Drive to Survive, that's going to – Put it over the edge. Number two would be gambling. I think when gambling becomes more legal and the games become more televised, people, it's like it is a fun sport to bet on. There's a lot of scoring. There's, you know, a lot of things that can happen, especially in PLL. There's a two point line. I think it's like, I, those are my two things. What do you think is going to propel the sport to the next level? I would say time is the biggest factor. So, if you just look at how big it was from when I was growing up playing to how big it is now, it, it, it's a lot of time. So I think what you're talking about is, is more mass adoption of the pro league. And so if you grade lacrosse on how big it's pro league is, you probably get a lower score than how big lacrosse is as a sport in our country. So what I would say is that, yeah, it has the opportunity to be big, for sure, but is it is it lacrosse fans or is it casual lacrosse fans? So, what I generally I think of growth lacrosse, I think as a number of people playing in the country, I think that that's still continuing to grow. I think the pro league helps that. So more eyes on the pro league, the more it's like, oh, I watch this pro league. My now I put my kid in this lacrosse league is growing. So I think both kind of snowball each other. So getting casual fans to watch lacrosse and drive the survival was like I think everyone that's a decent idea. But like that was like the perfect storm, right? Like you had COVID and you're like looking for stuff to watch. And oh, here's that. That's when I first started watching it. And I was like, oh, here's this cool F1 driver series that has like race cars. And it's really easy to understand. And it's un easy to understand, you know, win the race, understand the rules. And so, you know, would as many people watch a behind the scenes lacrosse pro league documentary as an F1 documentary? I, I don't think so. Uh, I think gambling would help. It will help for sure. Cause it's like, you've got the people like that are out there like, Oh yeah, I want to bet on something this weekend. Oh yeah, this is one. I want to do it. I mean, but, it's better on baiting, betting on, it's better than betting on baseball. Are you kidding me? That's right. the most boring. There's only one bet in baseball. that's fun. And there's <laughs> probably a hundred bets in lacrosse that are fun. So, but I would say it's time. It's more eyeballs on it. It's more people saying like, Oh, I watched the sport and it was really fast. And I was like it. I'm more, so Yes, the, the, those are good comparisons. Look at the NHL. So there, are, and this is what I would say, there are people, I, I never play hockey in my life, but I've been to an NHL game. And so there are people that are just fans of NHL that don't play hockey because it's a fun, exciting sport. 
right now, most of the fans of, of the professional cross leagues play lacrosse. So once you get more eyeballs on the sport and you're like, oh, yeah, that's fast, fun and exciting to watch. That's how you end up getting more uh, views. So I think that those things that you're talking about will help. But ultimately, I think it's just time, more eyeballs on the sport, more understanding of the rules, that those sort of things will help it grow. Gotcha. And that makes a lot of sense. But I, that's really interesting what you said about you prioritize growth in the U.S. over um, the uh, so-called uh, status of the professional league. If So I'd say what would you give for a grade in growth and then the grade of the league? Because I, I actually – the league leverages so, social media very well. It like – I don't, they, whatever they did, however much money they put up for that, they pay those guys a lot of money because I can, you can just tell by the way they tweet and they do the social clips that they have, they know their way around the block. Um, but for growth in the U how are the growth uh, numbers looking to the U S last time you checked? So yeah, what I would say first is that the two come hand in hand, the growth of the professional league and the growth of, you know, players in the sport because more people that see a professional league are more interested in signing up or signing their kids up for lacrosse. The more people that sign up for lacrosse, the more people that will probably watch the professional league, right? So they're, I think they're very closely tied. I don't know if they're mutually exclu exclusive, like to have a lot of lacrosse players in the U.S., you have to have a very significant pro league or all the way around. You have to have a big pro league to continue to grow lacrosse. I do think that they help each other and I do think it benefits. Uh, lacrosse is growing. All team sports have struggled with growth over the past probably 10 years. There's just more things competing for people's time. So video games, uh, really documentary, um, you know, sports in general are, are just somewhat trending about is similar. Uh, lacrosse has been above that trend in growth, but again, we have more growth opportunity. So if you take soccer or basketball, they're really easy sports to start and get into. You just need a ball. Lacrosse, hockey, football, those are more complex sports to sign up and get and get into. So you've seen some football decline with like concussions and, and that sort of nature. Um, you know, COVID was not good for sports, definitely stunted some new growth signups. Uh, but overall, lacrosse has been growing. It's pretty healthy. Uh, so overall, it's been, been positive. I just, I agree. And I, I'd give the, uh, I, I, I don't know the growth per se, but I know the, I like what the PLL has been doing. So I give them like a, I don't know, a B minus C plus. Oh yeah. I was supposed to give grades. Wasn't I? <laughs> well, what do you think in your opinion? I think I have to give them an A. I, I just don't know what else they could do to be more successful than what they're currently doing. So I look at it and I say, well, if I have to give someone a grade, then I should be able to do something better than what they're currently doing if I'm going to give them a lower grade. So I think they're doing a good job. They have good good media, good good rights. Uh, so I think it's tough to sit back from, you know, you're, it's like you're the Monday morning quarterback. And say, oh, like, <laughs> yeah. Hey, like, yeah, I am the Monday morning lacrosse quarterback. I'm the yeah, Monday morning midi. They're getting good attendance at games. They're getting good viewership. It's on ESPN. It's on you know ESPN+. Plus. Uh, they're running good social accounts. So every criticism you would have had of the MLL, the PLL has answered a lot of that stuff. Exactly. Um, what's your Mount Rushmore? 
we are in summer. We are in the dog days of summer. Hard knocks. Thank God starts tomorrow. Are you a football guy, by the way? Uh, yeah, I'm a big, big fan of football. Gotcha. Okay. Well, oh, and that just brings me to another question. Um, lacrosse, I think what's hurting a lot of the growth is it's just such a high barrier to entry. It's a lot of money. And that's where it kind of gets that frat boy, uh, preppy nature, like kind of stigma, I guess would be the word. Uh, it, it is expensive to play. Like it's probably around 500 bucks to get helmet, um, all that, all that stuff. Yeah. It doesn't have to be. So look at like what Casey Powell is doing with speed lacrosse where it's three on three, no pads. So really what, what's your version of, of lacrosse? Is it, you know, 10 on 10 on a field with the full equipment and full pads and a ref, or is it, playing three on three with your friends in the backyard. So what's your version of basketball? Is it on a court five and five or is it half court where we have to clear it? Is it playing 50? Is it playing knockout? So I think it just depends on, on, it doesn't have to be expensive. It could be your friend's stick from his garage. So yes, it's expensive to sign up and join a league, but it's not necessarily expensive to play lacrosse. That's, that's a great point. Again, that's the business brain versus the landscaping brain. But we are in we are in summer. Football is thankfully starting again. Uh, what's your Mount Rushmore of lacrosse players that you've grown up with that you've uh, that you love? And I, now I always like to think that Mount Rushmore isn't necessarily the best. Like Teddy Roosevelt was not the best president, but he's on Mount Rushmore because just he was just a savage. What is your, uh, <laughs> and that's the, one of the most outlandish statements I've ever made, but what's your Mount Rushmore of, uh, lacrosse players? Uh, Gary Gate is one. Mm. Um, no debate. Yeah. I don't think that's a debate. Uh, you know, so I, when I, I like to put all the pal brothers on there cause that's what I grew up watching. So I got to grow up watching Brian, Casey and Mike. So that would probably be. Oh, that, that rounds out your Mount Rushmore? Yeah, I, I just think that for, for me, it's when I was growing up, it was like the Power Brothers were huge. Uh, and so, and it was all of them. I do think that Mike Mikey was the most talented, best one, most fun to watch. Um, uh, so, but I would just put them up there because that was kind of like, you know, I, that was me growing up watching lacrosse. It was the Pals. What a... Why is it always brothers that do stuff in lacrosse? It's always Gates, it's, Powell's. Yeah, well, so I probably should have put um, Lyle Thompson on the Mount Rushmore. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so maybe I do have to kick Ryan. Uh, <laughs> uh, Ryan gets but, the boot. Is Ryan the run yeah, okay. the litter? So, so realistically, you know, lacrosse is so much of a stick skill game. You, you don't have to be crazy athletic or crazy big or – uh, if you have better stick skills, you will be good lacrosse. I think that is has something to do with brothers being good lacrosse. It's like a family thing, like going in the backyard and like playing lacrosse and being comfortable with your stick and trying stupid stuff. So, um, you know, I think if you, Lyle Thompson will often talk about just like being in the backyard playing lacrosse with the brothers and goofing off and trying crazy things and diving across the goal and pretending you're, you know, winning championships. That, you know, having such a good stick, that's what makes you successful. Um, you know, like I said, I, I played with Steel Stanley in high school. Damn. Um, his his stick was just so good. He just he could pass it anywhere, could catch anything, and that was. And his brothers were good too. Was, they just have good stick skills. They had like a box in their garage paint where they just go out there and hit the ball with stick, 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 stick. Yeah. So I think that that is what made him great. I think that's that's a lot of what makes a great lacrosse player. Stick is basically the great equalizer. Gotcha. What what was it like playing 
as the number one or winning the national championship in high school. Playing at like such a, I don't know. Do you get the call of the national championship? We won the MIA championship. I think the people in New York would kill me if I said that, that was the national. Oh, championship. okay. Because you're not uh, playing. I mean, <laughs> you are probably. I would say the most competitive state. I mean, there's a lot of competitive lacrosse out there, but I mean, Maryland and Long Island, probably top two. Yeah. I, so it it was a really awesome experience. So when I think winning any championship was really really fun. Um, you know, that team was great. We definitely weren't the most talented team in the league. We, we beat a BL team that was almost went two full seasons undefeated and beat them in a championship. So, uh, but there was a lot of talent on our team as well. I had plenty of guys that were, you know, still stand with Joe Cummings that were phenomenal players. So, uh, no, that was an amazing experience. I was more of a role playing guy. I played strictly man down. So if there was a penalty, uh, that, that was my job. <laughs> I went in. So, uh, but it was a good experience. I mean, it was crazy playing. Uh, on that stage and that many people at a game or something like it was uh lacrosse the premier sport at your high school or was football still king but lacrosse was king in the summer or excuse me spring uh no i mean lacrosse was the premier sport they would get good attendance at football games for sure but lacrosse was number one gotcha so lacrosse is like people getting rowdy and coming to games and it was those mm-hmm. uh friday night lights yeah, definitely. It was definitely good attendance, good student section. Drum, student section was rowdy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what a because I, I we my high school, you know, we just get bopped in the playoffs. You know, we, I don't know, I don't know what's good with our my high school, but we got bopped in the playoffs. We got a home playoff berth for the first time in like ten years when I was playing. It's a great time. We had the most talented squad. Uh, not a great coach though. How essential is coaching in lacrosse, do you think? Uh, you mean like what I think the essentials are? Yeah. For, uh, it's a, I mean, I coached for a while. I coached middle school lacrosse. You seem like a cutthroat Nick Saban kind of coach. I uh, No, I don't know. I, I, I think that, um, you know, one, it's, it's keeping it simple. I'm a big pass, pass, dodge guy. Uh, and two, it's, you know, a lot of it is making – Lacrosse is a game in which everyone needs to be on the same page. So defensively, you have to have your one slide, your two slide, you have to know your different situations. So I, I think it's a lot about, um, you know, practicing those situations and making sure you know what you're going to do in a game when, when they happen. So, um, you know, if they're running a high crease, are you sliding or is your two slide from the top or is your two slide from the bottom? If um, you're in a two, two, two and the ball goes behind, are you exchanging up top? Or are you staying up top? And, and it needs to be a lot of people on on the same page. I think that's the coach's job is to get everyone on the same page and to put you in scenarios where the players can, you know, make plays. So, uh, you know, I'd say that, especially in the cross, you also don't want to micromanage situation. You want to let people freelance and um, be able to go to the goal and, and take things behind. So it's best to end them up correctly as well. Yeah. How much of it is, uh, do you think would be just be like, especially if you have a Lyle Thompson on your team or, Things like that. How much of the uh, we had this kid Colin Develos, we and he would just score like 16 goals a game in ridiculous fashion, lefty, shifty, great stick skills. How much of uh lacrosse is just like let's just give it to our stud and let's see what he can do one on one? Let's just uh man him up, like just uh, <laughs> he's the better man, he's gonna beat this guy one on one. And then how much of it is actually trying to team team wins and stuff? But, so I think when you have a player like that, the, the, what you want to do is is be able to put him in situations where he can get the ball and dodge, shoot and score. So it's about the setup from that situation. If you're all just standing there 
watching him with the ball. That never works, right? Right. So you have to be able to draw a guy and then pass it to him, and then he can attack the backside, and maybe the slide's late. So he gets an open look. Uh, so, you know, I think that it's the team's job to create for that person. If you have a really good person, you have to create open space. You have to create time. You have to make sure that you're moving the ball. You know, that being said, the ball can't die and that person stick too. So what, what keeps the other team at bay is when that person's willing to also be a feeder. Uh, and so you say, okay, I'm going to draw a quick double. Well, boom, I move it, move it, move it. And so you'll see Lyle will have crazy, amazing goals himself, but also have some crazy, amazing assists. Uh, so I think that's kind of key. Exactly. Now, uh, when w- championships are won in the off season, we didn't really have a ton of off season training. What is a off season training win at a pretty much number one ranked, like very highly touted high school look like? And obviously, it's probably changed over the years. But what did your off season look like for uh, for the boys? It, Were the boys always texting each other? Was it five a.m. lifts? What what was it like? Like in high school, I barely had like a cell phone, so. Um, was like, you know, your cell phone stay in your locker all day. So it wasn't like a, let's text each other for 5 a.m. lifts. Uh, it, it was kind of on your own. So I think things have changed a lot. Now I think they have off-season practices and everything. We did not really have that. We had some, some like drill days we could go out there for sure and, and then work with everyone. Um, it was a pretty sizable off-season running workout program that if like you wanted to make varsity, you were at those workouts. So, and, you know, even... Greg and I, who are kind of bench warmer guys, were working the whole year round. So it was, you know, we were at gyms and trainers, and, and you were one of the boys, thick and plays. That. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was a lot of work. It was for, but there were also plenty of guys that played three sports and and didn't work as much in the off season uh, as well. So I would say that uh, it it was a lot of work to make that varsity team, which is obviously was that year was one of the top teams in the country as well, all season stuff. Was that public or private? And did public and private schools play in the same division? So, you know, Loyola is a private school and no, we don't play in the same division. Okay. So you're playing up against Calvert Hall is what they're, okay. Yeah, Calvert Hall was our big rival uh, school-wise. So Calvert Hall, BL, um, Mount, or St. Mary's, uh, Severin, Mount St. Joe, um mcdonough those are all schools in our division gotcha all right well this has been awesome but i got one last question for you uh what is your favorite lacrosse moment what what do you happens what's that thing that you see or you do that it just that tickles your part of your brain you're like oh that's freaking awesome this is why i love this sport dude uh, that's a tough one i i really want to say winning the championship in high school because that was an amazing lacrosse moment I think it might be when I scored my first goal in college because I played defense. Uh, and so I love long pole goals. So oh, I'd those are the like, best. I'd say uh, long pole goals for me might be my favorite. Look, there's just nothing that changes the momentum when they go down there. And, <laughs> yeah. So that's probably my favorite. Nothing that changes the, that big dude, that long stick, just running by everybody, not getting it checked out and just – he got a bunch of little attackmen wailing on him, and he still powers through and scores. Yeah. Well, Michael, thank you so much for coming on, man. I uh, I really appreciate it. It's just like we live in such a hyper connected age. It's awesome. I can just reach out on Twitter, and we can you know have a grand old time over a Zoom. Yeah, it's fun. Thanks, Jack. I appreciate it. Best of luck to everything you guys are doing. You too, man. Appreciate you. All right, All right cool. everybody. Thank you. I'll see you guys later, Mike. Thank you again. I'll see you, bro. Cool. Thanks, Jack. See ya. Bye bye.
All right, everybody. That was Mike. Um, that was great. I'm pretty happy with that. Uh, he's a busy guy. I got to let him go. Tight hour action. But shout out to Kevin Riggs and Matt Meehan, um, my resident lax heads. They, uh, they helped me get some questions last night. Um, and um, shout out to all my lax boys. I didn't want to call it out, but if you play lacrosse and you're not playing D1, you're pretty much in a frat. That's pretty chill. You party, you um, you hang out, you uh, you do some silliness, and I love that. And I, I I've he's been playing lacrosse since he was five years old. I started playing when I was six years old. Um, didn't get to. I mean, I, I don't think I was gonna play senior year. I was just gonna party, but COVID happened. So and I just didn't like the coach. So it is what it is. But I love lacrosse, and um, I love you. Thank you guys for listening. I will see you guys later. Peace. Just let me oh. That clock keeps ticking like a metronome, and my thoughts keep telling me to get me home, but my balls keep telling me to let me oh. Oh, just let me oh. That clock keeps ticking like a metronome, and my thoughts keep telling me to get me home, but my balls keep telling me to let me oh. Fuck all that shit, just let me go. And taste makers, make us no chaser. Gets the blood flowing like a fucking pacemaker. Cut the middle man and inhale the vapors. Madman, huh? old ten dime drapers. Cut the jukebox on, make the woofers blow. Oh, we gon' sit here until all them heifers go. Oh, holler at the ten, then spend a little dough. Not on them, no, they can buy their own drinks. Shake that work week off, five days in the bucket. Fuck it, you got a boss who's a jerk who doesn't want some Wu Tang. Bring the motherfucking ruckus, there is no pretext. We are living and we love it. On a budget, never mind. We just nudge it to the side. Give the kids a little time. We are living till we die. Focused and we hustle, but we still be getting high. No exception to the rule. Do what you do to get by. Cause I keep ticking like a metronome. And my thoughts keep telling me to get me home. But my balls keep telling me to let me oh. Oh, just let me oh. That clock keeps ticking like a metronome. And my thoughts keep telling me to get me home. But my balls keep telling me to let me oh. Let me go. At a house party getting jammed up, you were Tony Anza. When they ask who's the fucking boss, put your hand up. Never put it down, cause you're banging to the anthem. 2010 trend, put the iPod on random. Wonder why I try to play this instead of handsome. Probably cause it gets the people moving like a handgun. Just like the little white fellas up in M. Happy Easter from the motherfuckers living in the mansion. Yeah. Freestyle Friday number nine. Thanks to Ratatat for letting me steal their beat. It's very kind of them. They're nice guys. Anyway, happy uh, Easter weekend, I guess. I'm about to go up to Philly. I'll tell you why I chose this beat. I was driving around. It was real sunny the other day. It made me feel like it was like a Sunday morning after church as a little kid when my pepper used to buy me and my sister Slurpees. That clock keeps ticking like a metronome and my thoughts keep telling me to get me home but my balls keep telling me to let me oh, oh, just let me oh. That clock keeps ticking like a metronome and my thoughts keep telling me to get me home but my balls keep telling me to let me Shit, just let me go. Yeah, Freestyle Friday number nine. Uh, it is April 2nd. Everybody have a great weekend. Uh, go Phils, go O's next week. And uh, if you have time, go to ReverbNation.com backslash E-Double. Maybe be a fan on the Facebook page, Facebook.com backslash E-Dub Hip Hop. Thank you guys for listening. And uh, what can we get from this next one? Damn, I'm going to show you some stuff, Monica. Stuff that's new, stuff that's new.